So we'll sit in meditation now. It's uh, the 7th of August. And this year there's been a lot of rain here in the east of Thailand. Um, it's been uh, raining very frequently. Last year it was a dry year, but still the fruit came out very well in the orchards. But this year it's been a lot of rains in all of the ponds and the reservoirs and the monastery are full already. And there are some waterfalls uh, in the forest that have been flowing for many days. So it's been plentiful in terms of water, and this is an important requisite for our lives because they allow us to live. Our bodies need the element of water uh, to provide uh, for the liquids in the body, the blood, for example. And if we don't have water, then we won't be able to live. Now, food we can go out with for a while, and there are many monks who have fasted for 15 days, for example. Actually, many have fasted for 49 days, um, gaining inspiration from what the Buddha did after his enlightenment. But for the Buddha, he really fasted. He didn't consume anything. Um, he didn't have any evening drinks like the monks these days do. There was no sugar, for example. And um, I once met a monk from Japan who fasted for three months. And he was able to do this. I thought it was something that was very amazing. So I asked him about it, how he could do that. And he said that every day he consumed one kilogram of sugar. And this was what he survived on. And he figured that the body converts rice into sugar, so he would just eat plain sugar instead. And he was able to live off that. But it also... Um, this way of eating, it has its harm as well. And so when he got older, then he developed diseases and, and he eventually contracted diabetes uh, because there's, the body produces too much in insulin from all of that sugar. So there needs to be a balance in the body as well. And so just like uh, we have the seasons um, in the year, and this provides a balance. So during the rainy season, like it is now, then it rains a lot. In the Buddha's time, um, if it didn't rain for one year, if there was a drought, then the people would blame that on their leader, saying that he was lacking in sila dhamma and... Um, ethics and integrity. But really, this is just what nature is about, that some years it doesn't rain very much. And especially now, with the world heating up, uh, it becomes drier and becomes less dependable. And so we don't really know what's going to happen each year. These things are uncertain. And these bodies of ours are the same. Um, that we think gaining a body is a source of happiness. Uh, but in being born into a physical form, 
it's also necessary to meet with a lot of suffering and pain as well. And so we are born and we go out and study and then we get a job and work very hard in our occupation. Um, and this can be a source of great difficulty for us. Um, but even though the body uh, can provide us with these difficulties, we use this opportunity uh, that we have. Um, and we come to the monastery every day. We uh, go through those difficulties in order to make merit. Some people are born into very difficult situations and they've had to uh, be very frugal in their early years. Uh, so there's one uh, layperson who was here from the very beginning of this monastery and uh, she one day really wanted to eat just one bowl of noodles but then she thought about that and she figured that with the same amount of money that she would spend on that noodle, she could buy a lot of vegetables to cook for all of the monks. And a lot of benefit would come from that for many people. So this shows that she has a very beautiful heart, that she was able to sacrifice like that for many. So at the beginning uh, of this monastery, we really had to depend on the kitchen because uh, there weren't so many houses around that we could go on arms around to. And there were many monks. There was about 25 monks staying in the monastery. But still, we were able to survive. And sometimes, when the food is quite short, uh, it can seem like the flavor of that food uh, is even better. But it also depends upon our bodies as well. And as we get older, then food starts tasting worse. So we can see that, that this body changes and it's not like it was before. So for us, we need to try to train and contemplate and ask ourselves what it is that we're living with in this life. What are we bound to? These minds um, are caught up with the body, but can we really depend on these bodies? Can we trust them? And like the people external to us, our children, for example. Maybe they're not strong, maybe they're still quite immature. So perhaps we feel like we can't put a lot of trust in them. <clears throat> we can't rely on them. And other people that we know, maybe we can't really put our faith in them. And so this body and this mind have come together, but can we really trust this body? And some people want to come to the monastery every day, but someday, some days they can and others they can't. And even though every day the gates of the monastery um, are open and people come in to make merit, um, some days there's a lot and sometimes there's a few. But the hospitals around are full every single day. So all of the organs and the parts of this body, um, when we gain them, we also gain the illnesses that come along with them. But we can get deluded by these things. 
When we see someone's eyes, we maybe say that they have beautiful eyes. We'll see their teeth, and we say that they're very beautiful teeth. But what really are these things? We get amused by them, we get distracted and lost in them. And we can stay with these bodies for so long that we start to forget what they're about. So what are we really living with? It's actually the case that the body traps the mind. And we don't want for the body to break. And if it doesn't break, then the mind can't leave it. But oftentimes the mind doesn't even want to go. It wants to stay with these physical forms forever. Um, but we can ask ourselves whether that's really possible. And the body is of the nature to change. Um, but even though that's the case, um, no one really wants to give up on their bodies. No one wants to leave them. We like them, and so that's why we have been born into them. We find joy in this realm of existence, uh, the, the uh, karma loka, uh, this world of sensualities. And uh, the specific level that we've been born into in this world of sensuality is the human plane. So that shows that we have barami and we have merit to be able to gain a human body and also a human mind as well. So many, there are many people with human bodies uh, and the Buddha had the wisdom uh, to see this. He also had the wisdom to see that the body gives us suffering, that all sankharas, all conditioned phenomena, uh, provide us with difficulty and trouble because we have to be separated from them. Even though he had everything, he had so much wealth, he had a wife and a child, um, he wasn't able to stay with them. He felt like he had to leave them. He saw that he couldn't depend upon this body. So when he went out of the palace, one day, he asked his charioteer, Chana, am I really going to get old like this as well? And suppose there was someone who was very, very wealthy, maybe the richest person in the world, and they'd never seen any suffering, they'd never know what it's like um, to be poor, to go through difficulty. But one day they see someone who's in a really tough situation, the destitute with no money, with nothing. And they ask a very close friend, am I going to be like this as well? And their friend responds, yes, this is how it's going to be. That one day you're going to lose your wealth. One day you're going to have to meet with the same trouble, the same pain as this person. Now that hearing that news would really echo in that person's heart, that uh, millionaire's heart, and see that his wealth can't really help him. Or perhaps there's someone who before was very poor, was in a really tough situation, but they've managed to get themselves out of that. But if someone told them that in the future they'd have to go back to that suffering, 
they just wouldn't be able to take that news. They'd also understand that their body, being older than it was before, wouldn't um, be up to it as well. The Buddha, as a bodhisattva, had a very strong body before he became uh, awakened. And we can see that, um, that he was able to put his body through so much difficulty, these six years of intensive ascetic practices, that normally uh, a person who went through that would die from them. No one was able to do what he could do. But he had very deep jhana and also knowledge as well. And previously he had as a prince, trained his body uh, to be in the best physical uh, state that it could be. And no one else had a body like the Buddha's. And so he was able to survive those torturous practices that he inflicted upon the body. Even though his body was so strong, still he could see the old age sickness and death inherent within it and see that in the future there was great difficulty waiting for him because of these things. And so he asked, in the end, am I going to have to die as well? He was confused by this. He was disturbed by it as well, seeing that all beings who are born have to meet with death, that their lives end in death. And so the thought came up in his mind to find a way that leads out of this trouble, out of stress and suffering. But he had to leave everything behind in order to follow that path. He had to abandon his wife and his child as well. In the Mahayana tradition, they've got a slightly different story of the Buddha's biography. They say that he was defeated in a war and he um, was outcast or had to leave the country that he was staying in. And so being outcast in that way, he decided to ordain. And so the Mahayana tradition, it's a little bit different. But in seeing old age sickness and death, uh, he also perceived the pain and the suffering within that. For us, when we develop dana, a generosity, uh, to a very full and abundant degree, it's like we gain a boat that we can row along. Back in the day, they didn't have cars and they didn't have planes. Um, and in order to travel, many people would use the river and uh, the canals, and they would go by boat. Now, if someone has a bit more money, then they'd be able to buy a better boat, and if they're even wealthier, then they could get a motorboat. But still, the traveling can be quite slow. So when we um, develop our generosity and are charitable, then it's like we get this vehicle to travel to Nibbana, but if we develop sila as well, our virtue, then we get a car, and this can take us uh, faster to Nibbāna. Because for those people who are generous, it's still possible that they are 
not very ethical people, and perhaps they steal the things that they are offering. And there are cases of this, of thieves who are very generous. And there were in the past um, some thieves who liked to go to the monastery and make offerings and also listen to the Dhamma as well. And some people rob from the rich and then give what they have gained to the poor. So there was one great teacher in Thailand, uh, Longpur Rusi, and he went to the province of Supanburi. And uh, while he was teaching there, um, there were many uh, criminals and many thieves um, that came to listen to his Dhamma talk. And they listened uh, very well, they were very intent um, in uh, attending to his instruction. And he said that this was actually something very good because um, in other places he would sometimes be afraid when he would go traveling that people would come and rob him or there would be criminals out on the streets uh, who would attack him. Uh, but in this particular place, uh, because he was the one teaching the thieves and the, crim the criminals, uh, he wasn't afraid because they all had respect for him, they had faith in him. But having both dana and sila, it's better. It's like we um, gain a step up in our status. Uh, we move higher up in the hierarchy. So if we don't have either of these, if there's no dana, there's no sila, um, it's like we don't have any vehicle and we need to walk. So it's like the people who want to come from the to the monastery from Rayong City, um, they would have to walk all the way here, leave very early in the morning. It would take them maybe five hours to walk all this way. Leave early and arrive here at 10.30. And there was actually some monks who came from uh, Banchang and they had to leave at 3 a.m. <laughs> and they arrive just in time for the meal. So it can be very difficult if we have to walk, um, but the fact that many of us now have vehicles um, shows that uh, we have created merit in the past uh, to have this convenience. So when we have uh, our parami and we use that to develop uh, sila and dhamma, dana, even further, this becomes a cause for happiness in our lives. And the happiness that results from generosity and having ethical standards is heaven. But if we contemplate that heaven, then we can ask ourselves, well, does it last long? And are we always going to be there? You see, with these bodies we have now, that they don't last for so long. While they're still healthy, while they don't have illnesses, then it's easy for us to live in them. It's a source of comfort. And um, if we are wealthy and we have all that we need externally, then this is like living in the heaven realm. But these things aren't sure, they don't last, and our bodies need to deteriorate following their nature. 
because we also have uh, karma that we've uh, produced in the past as well. And sometimes, even though we haven't harmed or killed any beings in this life, perhaps we have in a previous life. Maybe in this life we have just helped animals, we've released crabs that would otherwise be boiled. But in previous lives we may have done some bad karma, which results in our um, gaining sickness and illness in this life. So if we help out beings, saving those that would otherwise be killed, and saving their lives and releasing them, uh, this is a cause for long life. It helps us. It helps us to uh, be free, free from illnesses. And if we harm the lives of animals, then this is a cause for sickness to come to us. So there are some people who, in this particular life, they're very wealthy, but they also have a lot of suffering. Um, their bodies are full of pain. So we see that wealth, external wealth, that can't bring light into our lives. It's not an energy that's able to relieve our bodies from sicknesses. The bones that we have and our joints can really torment us. And so I often recommend uh, for people who have a lot of illness to go and release animals, release crabs, for example, and dedicate the merit uh, that comes from that activity uh, to all beings, to their karmic debtors uh, that may be following them and harassing them as well. If we've created merit, uh, then this can become a source of happiness for our hearts and something that we can rely upon. Uh, but if we don't have anything there for us to rely upon, if we don't have merit, or we don't have goodness, um, then when the body changes, when it starts to deteriorate, then we fall into great amounts of suffering. So we can see that actually these bodies are like a country or a land that is full of difficulty. It's a very torturous place to live. Because when illness arises, as it does uh, through all of the organs, all of the parts that we have in this body, um, then we meet with great pain. So we should contemplate and see the danger in the cycle of birth and death. Like all of the houses that we live in, they don't last forever. It's natural for roofs to develop leaks and for the pillars and the poles of our houses to start to break or decay. And when that happens, it's difficult for us to live in them. It's not a comfortable place to live. Even though the houses that we have now may be quite new or quite strong. Um, so we can live in them comfortably, but one day they will have to change. So just like our bodies, um, when they're not full of pain, then it's an easy place for us to live. But this body being the house that our mind lives in 
is something that doesn't last forever. It's something that our mind depends upon, uh, but will eventually let us down. Because they are of the nature to age, to sicken, and to die. So we see all around us people going through this, people getting old, people falling into illness, and people dying. And we should recollect that we are of the nature to be this way as well. See all of this in terms of Dhamma. So we have the opportunity now to create merit. And uh, we need to depend upon our efforts and our energy in the practice and following this way of Dhamma. And the Buddha said that the benefits that come from merit are very great. And it's even more if we gain samadhi, if our minds collect together and become very sturdy. Um, then when we listen to the Dhamma, our hearts feel at ease and peaceful. The doubts that we have about the teachings lessen and our minds become very bright. Wisdom arises in the heart uh, through this act of listening to the Dhamma. So we need to train ourselves. And if we gain samadhi, um, then our status in the hierarchy um, grows or gets um, promoted to one step higher, one step above just having sila or morality. So having taken up the precepts, then we also engage in bhavana, cultivating our hearts as well. And this makes our lives more and more easeful, more and more comfortable. It's like we're traveling to a place of happiness, a place of brightness, somewhere that is devoid of suffering, both pain in the body and in the mind. And what this place is, is the pure heart, the heart that doesn't have any stress, the heart of an arahant, that which is freed from suffering. There's no attachment, it doesn't attach to anything at all. There's only happiness and joy residing in the heart. But still, the mind of an arahant needs to have a relationship to the body. And it sees the difficulty of this physical condition phenomenon. So being um, in a relationship with these sankharas, and we have a duty towards them as well. We have to manage them and take care of them. If we have nothing to manage, uh, then it's very easy. Um, but having a body, um, it can be quite difficult. When it's hungry, we have to feed it. When it's thirsty, we have to give it water. When we sit for a long time and uh, the body becomes painful, then we have to get up and stand. Then we stand and the body feels uncomfortable, so we walk. We walk for a while, it develops aches, and then we have to lie down. We constantly have to change our postures uh, to relieve the suffering in the body. But we should try to see all of the pain uh, in these physical forms as Dhamma, so that wisdom can arise in our hearts. This wisdom is the most supreme vehicle. It's a superb vehicle 
that which is able to take us out of this world into Lokutara Dhamma, the Dhamma that is beyond the world. So we can do that if we have sincerity in the practice, we're able to go beyond this world. Our hearts then uh, feel very at ease and comfortable um, because our minds have let go of their attachment. If we have this great sincerity to train our hearts and we're really uh, devoted to that practice, we don't stop, then we will have to see the Dhamma one day. Because the Dhamma is always here. Nature is always around us. It's open and revealed constantly. Whether or not a Buddha comes into this world and attains awakening, nature is just the way it is. Things arise depend, dependent upon conditions. They last for a while and then they cease. It's just that we don't see the truth of these things. And why is that? It's because we're so caught up in liking and disliking. Our minds are involved uh, with drowsiness, with doubts. And um, this is what prevents us from seeing into nature. So we need to train our minds so that they become still and collected. And in this state, they're able to see the truth. But if the mind is confused, um, chaotic, if it's full of anxiety, then we won't be able to. Wisdom won't be able to arise, and the mind won't feel joyous or full. So we need to settle the mind down, to relieve it of its constant thinking, and to bring it into emptiness. Because all of us need rest. And just like we take a break from our work, and we have a holiday, we go and travel up into the mountains, or go to the ocean, um, this is a, re a rest for our bodies and for our minds, a rest from our work. And then when we go back to our jobs, we can do them even better than before because our hearts are well rested. We're able to use our wisdom and to engage in our work in a wise and intelligent way. So our minds also need rest as well. And the way they gain this is through samadhi. And when they're well rested in this way, then wisdom can arise. We can see into the inconstant nature of things. Children are able to see this. Adults can observe this truth as well. All that it requires is to bring our minds to peace. So there was a man, uh, a chivaka, who met the Buddha just after his enlightenment. And um, this man had been practicing a lot. He had been cultivating his mind and had sincerity in his practice. And when he met with the newly awakened Buddha, he asked him who he was, and he asked who his teachers were. And the Buddha responded that he didn't have any teachers, that he gained this awakening through his own efforts. Achivaka was amazed by this, and um, 
he had faith arise, but there was also uh, something there that was blocking off um, his vision, that it was like he had his eyes closed. And so he left the Buddha, but he kept thinking of the Buddha, thinking of this man that he met who had such a bright, radiant body. And when he was old, if I remember correctly, about 80 years old, um, he had practiced a lot by himself, and he ended up by meeting with the Buddha, and he attained to arahantship. It shows that he had a lot of merit. But there were also many, many people during the Buddha's time who <coughs> weren't interested at all in listening to the Buddha's Dharma. Even some people were enemies of the Buddha and tried to harm him. So during the time of the Buddha, uh, there were some people who created a lot of merit, who used that opportunity well. But there were some who created a lot of evil actions too. For us, we have been born in time to meet with the Dhamma of the Buddha. And so we use that opportunity, putting in our efforts and offering our practice in homage to the Buddha. This brings joy and brightness into our hearts. We do this before the body breaks apart. And we see that uh, both the body and the mind are inconstant. We ask ourselves, are we able to control these things? And if we can't control them, can we take them as a self? Initially, when we're young and we have teeth, um, then all of the teeth are present. They're all there in our mouths. And we see that they're very good things. But one day, it's not going to be like that. One day, they're going to have to fall out. One day, they're going to bring us suffering. So we should see the danger in them as well, see that we can't control our teeth, that they're of the nature to be this way. So all the things of this world have their nature. Um, so for us, we should try to see that. And in seeing that, then we see the Dhamma, and the Dhamma that the Buddha taught. And so may all of you grow in blessings. <clears throat>